Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Buddhist Recovery Network podcast. Hope you're all doing well in the midst of this global pandemic. This weekend, I am recording an episode I'm already excited to share with you. Many leaders in our community will be joining me to share practices that have been helping them through this challenging time. Today, I thought it would be helpful to share with you our academy teaching by Fresh Lev White, titled Perfect As You Are. I know for me, being stuck inside has brought up a lot, and sometimes it can be hard to offer ourselves compassion. Fresh will be sharing his story as well as his self-compassion practice. This is a recording from our monthly live podcast and Q&A. Don't miss the next Academy Teaching, May 3rd, with Carol Cano, a teacher at Spirit Rock and East Bay Meditation Centers. Carol's teachings are deeply grounded in Native American and Buddhist influences that braid the Dharma along with indigenous wisdom and earth-based practices. Mark May 3rd on your calendar so you don't miss it, and you can get the Zoom link for it on our website, BuddhistRecovery.org. If you'd like to support our teachers and help keep this podcast going, please consider offering Donna or donation at patreon.com forward slash Buddhist Recovery Network, and you will receive early access to Academy teachings as well as exclusive meditations from our teachers. The Buddhist Recovery Network Academy. I'm Robin Smith, and today Fresh Lev White will is joining us for a teaching, Perfect As We Are, a self-compassion practice. Thanks for being here. Just a, a big shout out to everyone in this community who keeps showing up to be Sangha and showing up for the practice of Buddhist recovery. Um, just to give you a little um, overview of the format, we're going to begin with a period of meditation, followed by Dharma talk, and um, we will leave room at the end for questions and answers uh, or reflection, depending on what you have for us as the audience. I'd like to tell you a little bit about our teacher, Love. Fresh Love White is a love and compassionate activist. He offers mindfulness, coaching, mediation, and diversity trainings as tools for shifting towards more authentic, conscious, and passionate living. He teaches and writes about how love and self-compassion are ultimate gateways to loving and understanding others, thus healing our communities and our planet. In recovery since 2012, and growing up in a diverse part of New York City, Lev can meet people where they are when offering Dharma in mediation and while engaged in facilitating trans, GNC, and LGBTQIA ally trainings. Lev's teachings focus on self-compassion, self-acceptance, and the belief that if we can love no matter what, we can make positive change personally in all areas of our life with wise strategy. Um, Lev's, Lev, or, or Fresh, as, as we know him, is contributor to real-world mindfulness for beginners, Transcending Trans-Buddhist Voices, um, the October 2019 edition, and Trans Bodies, Trans Selves. And I'm actually going to put the, name, the titles of the publications in the chat field as well. Uh, so uh, without further commentary, um, we invite our teacher on. Um, welcome, Fresh. So happy to have you here. Thank you so much, Robin. Hi. I'm, uh, I like to, if I say it now that I'm nervous, it helps. So hi, everybody. <laughs> it's, it's weird not seeing everybody. So I've done lots of, uh, or a few Zoom rooms with faces. So I'm just going to imagine you there. Um, and welcome and thank you for, for attending today. So, uh, hi, oh, there's a face, hey face. Um, And know that I can't read and I have my glass, I'm like, I can't read your name, but I'll I'll follow up later. So I, um, yeah, today I want to talk a little bit about some self-compassion practices. I'll share a bit of my story and and talk about how recovery has supported me uh, that path. 
and, um, and then offer some practice. So I actually thought, and I realized I don't, you know, like who carries a clock or a watch? So um, I'll be turning uh, occasionally towards my computer that has a timer on it. But um, let's see if there's anything else I want to say before I get, before I get started. Mm. Just that I'm, I feel really fortunate to be here. And in a lot of ways, it's a really big deal. Um, I don't know that the projection of my life, especially um, in my youth, would be that A, I would live to be uh, the age that I am, and uh, B, that I would do so without, um, or I would be able to be here and be able to basically articulate anything, much less be able to offer um, healing that I believe that I came into the world with and really enjoy sharing. So I thought let's ground for, uh, let's take just a few minutes to ground. I'll tell my story and then we'll do uh, a longer meditation and then we'll come back and do a practice. Uh, I think that might work well for us this morning. So I've got my bells. So the invitation is to uh, be able to ground in, whatever that might mean for you, for some of the, you. That'll be sitting, standing, lying down. For some of you, it might be movement. So there is no one way to practice, just whatever can help you stay present. Um, so yeah, I'll ring the bell and begin. And I'll get less nervous as we go. You, you'll, you'll know the difference. So perhaps taking in a deep breath and whatever that might be for you, deep might actually be shallow. So comfortable for your body. If it's accessible, being able to fill your diaphragm as you're inhaling. As you're exhaling, releasing your shoulders. Inhaling as well, see if you can open your chest to your comfort level, really letting the air in. Exhaling, allowing your elbows to fall towards the ground. And in this moment, noticing the sensations in your hands. Feeling the weight of your body in your seat or in your standing position against the ground. It's feeling the earth holding you. And getting a sense of how your feet are doing, if they're accessible to feeling what's happening there. Coolness, stiffness, numbness. Without judgment, just noticing. And as you're inhaling, perhaps imagining filling your whole body with breath. And as you're releasing from the top down, allowing muscles to relax, tension to go. Perhaps on this next exhale, you can release anything you don't need in this moment. Anything that might be tugging at your mind that really you don't need to worry about right now. And for some of you, you may already experience the breath filling your whole body. You can feel your whole body breathing. And for others, our minds are just racing. And so the practice is just to be with what is, with as much kindness as possible. 
And gently coming back to your breath or sensations in your body. So welcome back. Thank you for your practice. And um, if you haven't yet, I don't know how many of you are on there, give each other a wave. Usually when I'm in the room with people, I have them introduce themselves. So just give each other a wave, um, saying hello. So I'm gonna share a little bit of my journey and um, Right now, I'm coming out of uh, what one of my Dharma siblings uh, described to me last year. I didn't know have a term for it. It's called the cyclical uh, depression. So I'm just coming out of that. And I'm going to share, um, just go through some dates about what happened in my life. And I'll go back and forth, but you'll get it. And um, take care of yourself as you're listening. So in that way, it might be uh, feel free to touch your belly or your heart if you are activated in some way. Feel free to shut off and come back. I, I'm so aware that I'm in a space with survivors. So I know that you already know how to take care of yourself, even as it's something that we continue to work through and we'll, we'll continue to work through in our lives. So I have this period where literally, I would say it ended on Monday and um, probably by Wednesday, my whole world opened up. So I'm gonna go by, um, let's, let's start. So in, on January 16th, I was born and I was orphaned. And for those first six months, I don't know anything about my story. And so there's some pain around that, um, the not knowing. Um, and then, uh, six months later, I was, um, fostered by a family. I'm very grateful. I was fostered by a family. And by the time I was five, I started wetting the bed and I was already getting beat as a kid, but the beatings were much more aggressive, um, at that age. And so, um, I'm speaking now just for the little one in me that hasn't had a lot of voice. And so I was going back and forth to a doctor, which of course more trauma means that I was being, um, there were lots of examinations and nothing showed up for like a year. So um, it's hard to describe the memories that I have of that little kid, right? Who was uh, wetting the bed and getting beat up. By the time I was six, they figured out, oh yeah, here's this thing that we couldn't find. And so um, 
I had my first major operation at six years old. Um, that was a pretty traumatizing period for me, and I didn't stop peeing right away, so there was more torture around that. And then uh, by the time I'm, so, and then life goes on. Um, I have very, uh, my experience with life was that I had this family that was very loving and really, um, really providing for me. And yet they have, they came in with their own traumas around how they were raised and what they understood. So um, of course, as children, we receive, we receive, um, uh, what what they you know what they offer from that from their own learning and experience. So um, I remember coming back from sleepaway camp, which was pretty amazing, at nine and, and I'm sorry at ten and being told we were going to move. And it was around this time or a little bit earlier that I found out that my mom had cancer, and she had had cancer for three or four years, but she was misdiagnosed, uh, which was. Um, from my understanding, was and still is a common experience for African-American people. We just don't get the same amount of care. There's, there was trauma around that, but I'm gonna keep uh, going. So at, in October, which is when my depression begins, in October, we were, or around that time, um, we were adopted by that family. It was me and a younger sibling. So I'll just stay with I. So I was adopted by that family because my mom didn't want us to go into the system. I don't know how my dad felt about it at the time. But um, so that was in October. And then, you know, there were memories come up again in December. That's living in my body. January has the experience of, um, you know, the birth and the separation that's living in my body. On January 15th is my dad's birthday. I'm sorry, January 15th. Um, all right, so yeah, January 15th is the anniversary of my dad's death, actually. And then February 24th is the anniversary of my mom's death. And so I, I've skipped a little bit, but it's sort of like I've got this period from October to February that's really defined my life in ways that I didn't understand. So some of the things that have come out for me was... Um, ADD comes from some of those experiences of being physically abused. I have no problem saying that um, as a child. And then later neglected. So my dad actually, so my mom died when I was 11 and my dad was around till I was 21, but he neglected me um, in lots of ways. So what, um, and, and then comes the alcohol. So I grew up at a time when um, dad comes home and has a drink and um, the family members have lots of drinking going on. There's lots of um, drunken parties as drunkenness. And, um, and I see this and I'm curious about this. And, um, and, and at, at, by the time I'm 12, I'm already indulging myself. Let's see. So 12 was the first time I got drunk. Um, I'm trying to see where I want to go. Otherwise, we'll be here all day, and I don't want to do that. So between the uh, physical abuse, the neglect, and then my own drinking, um, I began to, uh, I mean, that, those, you know, that behavior enough was um, already setting me on a dangerous path. But um, I think I want to roll back and say that through this experience, I've been someone who has always chosen to have compassion for the people around me. And even as um, I was being harmed, I didn't stop loving anyone. And I think part of that comes from um, what we may do as children, because there are caretakers. But some of that also comes from an innateness in me that just never went away. So that jumping forward, um, after jumping forward, um, we'll go from 12 by 16, I'm bouncing and I'm already um, self-employed. I'm sorry, I'm bouncing, I'm out of the house, taking care of myself in more relationships that are, my first relationship was actually abusive. And, um, but I moved on from there, I went to college, I met 
um, other loving beings. I had a beautiful partner at the time, but also um, the whole time, um, I didn't spend a lot of time looking at my traumas, um, investigating my traumas, or offering myself any compassion. Um, I spent a lot of time working and healing people who were around me. And sometimes, um, at one point, I shared a story later, how on my way to my club where I was bouncing, um, this was the 80s in New York, someone was following me. And I did that thing where you walk fast, walk slow, see if somebody's following you. You may not know this unless you've seen a lot of um, detective or thriller movies. And so finally I get this guy and I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, he's, I'm like, he's like, I'm going to mug you or something like that. I'm like, what are you talking about? And, um, and I'm like, suppose I was your sibling, like, or, and uh, we'll get a little bit because I haven't yet come out as trans, but back then I was a female. And so I'm like, suppose I was your sister or your mother. And um, so this is a part of, a big part of my life story is we end up in a bar sitting down and him sharing with me his stories <laughs> and um, me providing him some ideas for how to get out, um, which included getting a job and what was possible for him. I've spent a lot of my life not looking at the ways that I've suffered and not being able to be with them, not being able to be with my sadness and being available as much as possible to others. I also grew up in a, um, an experience that was very sarcastic. In my family, there wasn't a lot of physical touch. So um, yeah, there wasn't a lot of physical touch. We never talked about anything. We never processed anything. But I was one who was out there learning and taking in as much as I can. And again, offering it out, but never offering it in. I would say by the time I was nine, I started practicing um, praying. Uh, at nine, I started practicing that I would die instead of my mother. And it took me um, almost 40 years to actually look at how, um, um, I want to call it uh, passive suicide played out in my life. And that meant getting drunk and writing goodbye notes. Um, I was highly promiscuous, but mostly, I mean, I slept with women. I can count the amount of men I slept with on less than one hand, but I was very promiscuous and out there um, again, like feeling like I was, um, you know, one of my missions was to show women their beauty and, and their love and, and help them to be more sexually explore, you know, exploring and, and, um, and really engage and love their body, something that I couldn't do for myself. So a lot of unworthiness, a lot of not enoughness, um, a lot of, um, and it's interesting, I, I'm thinking about the Four Noble Truths and I'm thinking about um, where how my suffering didn't necessarily, well, actually it probably did, come from the desire for something else to be true. So that because I wasn't active in my healing, I was just creating more suffering and pain for myself. So the desire to see myself as someone else. Growing up in a, in a very multicultural community in the Northeast Bronx, I was sharing uh, in a talk yesterday that I watched my Italian friends get beat up for being Italians. I watched Catholics and Protestants beat each other up for that. I watched my Irish friends being beat up for being Irish. And of course, black people were being um, sometimes uh, gang beat up by, um, by other uh, groups of white people. I watched my Jewish friends get teased and my Puerto Rican friends. And my experience was that we're all suffering. Everybody's suffering. Everybody's got something um, that's holding them back. Everybody's got something that's holding them down. And what I never got to, because again, not looking at myself, I never got to look at the degree at which I was suffering as a black person or that black people were suffering at greater levels um, and deeper levels at times. I forgot to put a timer on. I better put a timer on. Give myself a couple more minutes. Um, that meant um, 
I, I was doing a lot of this, um, and it took me decades to realize um, how I was making myself smaller for the people around me. Um, and of course, it plays into my lack of self-worth because I didn't want to look at the ways that I had been suffering more. My experiences um, at doctors' offices or in schools where um, I remember on two occasions, once in a school in Northern Virginia and once at um, San Francisco State University going in for counseling to speak to a counselor and tell them, I wanted to be a counselor. Like, I, you know, I know what I do well. I want to be a counselor and in both, on both occasions being told that I should look into public transit. That's a true story. Um, and it took a while before I learned that, that I wasn't the only person that was happening to. So, yeah, I think like in the almost conclusion of this is this denial of who I was was causing me a lot of suffering. The denial of my suffering was causing me a lot of suffering. The inability to be with sadness, which I had been trained into, was cause, causing me a lot of suffering. The ability to work and heal others in a way that um, was causing me harm up until even uh, my mid-30s. I was, I remember um, with one of my partners, I lent them money so they could pay rent. And then I had to borrow money for my own rent. Um, and yeah, so talking a little bit about, I get, you can probably hear it, the codependency, the Al-Anon in me, um, the person who still at age 57 is challenged with how to feed myself, when to feed myself, and what to feed myself. Um, it's a painful experience, I will tell you. Um, and let's see what else, if there's anything else. I don't know, that's a lot. I think it's a lot. I wanna talk a little bit now about the recovery part. The parts that held me. So when I was younger, the same mother who was excessively controlling um, and, um, and physically abusive, like all the adults in my families uh, that I know of, that I experience, was one of the most open, loving people. So she's the one that introduced me to a wide array of people and I would say, like, and, and always taught me that people were good and people were kind. And um, there's a song by the Roaches called Everyone is Good. And I kind of, uh, that was like her theme. So that she was introducing me to the police and Sam was our mailman. And I think Mike was the guy who brought, um, we had a milk delivery back in New York. So I knew everybody's name and uh, for the most part, um, I was able to see the love in everyone. She taught me that. And I don't know that she lived it as much as she taught me to be that way. Um, I used to, uh, there were, have been moments when I regretted how she taught us to smile. And she taught us to be open and smiling. And I, I don't know how much of that I needed to learn because I, I really was a happy kid, but in this lifetime, it's gained me access to places and experience that I don't think I would have had otherwise, not to mention um, psychologically or physiologically, our smiling sort of keeps our heart open. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, and, and I don't want to knock anybody. It took me a long time to understand why people weren't smiling, right? Because in some ways I've been living my life up here. <laughs> and so I didn't really get down to why people were suffering. But um, keep, keep going with the uh, recovery part. I'm the person who goes outside and flowers scream at me. And so we talk and we play and... Um, I have this way of, I, you know, the J supposedly is like the bad bird, but like 
Jay has like uh, helped me walk through some places where I was scary. And my practice of accepting people as they are has been really good. Not that I haven't, uh, you know, of course, uh, being an Al-Anon person, I've certainly created lots of stories about who you could be. So we should be together now because you could be this person. Um, I've been on both sides of that. But I want to jump uh, to 20, 2012. I got into a coaching training program in 2007. And um, when I went into this program, what I learned was that it was going to heal me. Um, and I remember going in and saying, I know there's something wrong with me at this point. I don't know what it is. So I'm going to open myself up to this experience. And it was in, that, uh, in those workshops that I learned to be with sadness that I was surrounded by people who were actually telling me that I wasn't taking up too much space. Uh, I can't tell you how healing that was. Um, and that I should take more space, actually. And, um, and that at, at, in 2012, I graduated a leadership program and I discovered a therapist who um, was a coach. So this person was a coach and they had also had experience with 12 step. And so if you had known me, you would have assumed I was an alcoholic. Um, I certainly drank enough to look that way and, and often enough frequently to appear that way. And I never felt like an alcoholic, but I knew that I had all of the um, tendencies or many of the tendencies that alcoholics might have because I grew up in bars, bouncing from 16 to my late 30s. Um, this was my community. I made it, that means I made a community in every city and wherever I was. Again, um, please let me know. Um, if you give me a wave, if you think I'm going over time, I might need help. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to stop in like two minutes. Right. So at that, oh, sorry. At that um, time is when I, oh, go ahead. No, sorry. I don't have say, a clock. We're still, we're, we're still, we're still li listening and it's, uh, we're good for another few minutes. So. Okay, great. Thank you. So, um, so I decided um, I needed to change some things about, um, I wanted to change things about myself and I was in this relationship with this beautiful person. Um, and I remember um, I, I wasn't healing for me. I was healing so I could be in this relationship, which I am so grateful for. It, it definitely was torturous for her as I'm going through this excavating and opening and changing. But um, so I decide I want to be, I know I can be a better person. I know there's something in me that needs to change. And so um, I get this coach. And at the same time, um, I gain a new friend. Um, I had gained a new friend over the year. And this person invited me to go to a talk. I didn't know what it was. I walk in and there's people in the room. I still don't know what's happening, but I'm there to listen to his talk. And um, I remember hearing him talk and he's uh, telling his story and I'm thinking, oh, maybe this is an AA meeting. And I was like, okay, this is cool, I'm listening. And I'm like, but we were just drinking last week maybe you can drink an AA, right? Because this is how much I know. He shares a story, the next guy gets on, and he starts talking about how it was taking him, oh, maybe three months to buy a desk. And that hit me, along with a couple of other things he said. And at that point, um, uh, everything that I, uh, I was like flooded with memories from my youth. It was amazing how much I had hidden and what came up in that talk. So, um, so from that day and uh, shortly thereafter, the partner that I was with uh, and I broke up. Um, I went to Al-Anon every day for um, almost nine months, just going to different groups in different cities, sometimes twice a day. There was something about um, the healing and the hearing, the hearing the stories and the being able to look, for my, look at myself and not wanting to be alone, that was really important. So, um, 
at this point, I had yet learned about self-compassion. But what I was, what I did have with this friend of mine was um, a reminder to stay with myself. And that was really great. And he didn't have a practice, uh, a mindfulness practice at the time. And I'll say the other thing that happened during that time is I was introduced to Abraham, who I want to call one of my first Buddhist teachers. There was a lot of Dharma in what they're saying. Um, and it's complicated. We can talk about that another time. But there was a lot of Dharma in what they were bringing. And, and it was about being present, accepting what is, and being kind to myself. That was the overall uh, message from Abraham. And it's beneath almost everything. I was also introduced to uh, my coach at the time, um, introduced me to Jennifer Verizon's um, Song for All Beings, which you can find on YouTube. And it's a gorgeous video, and it was my introduction to Meta. Rolling back a little bit, beginning in 2007, the outward giving person that I am, I had already began giving these, um, not even talks, but just uh, obviously not a talk. I, I was putting out these posts on Facebook that were talking about self-love, self-compassion, self-care. I don't remember where it came from, right? Life is cumulative. I can't tell you where all the places it came from. But it was part of who I was becoming known to be. In 2013, I walked into the East Bay Meditation Center um, I had been doing a practice in a refuge group outside of there, and they had just moved to a new location, and I walked into the center, and Spring Washam was talking, and at one point in my head, in my, because uh, I'm always on my best company, and so I jokingly say to myself, oh my God, she must be reading my posts. And of course, she's talking about the Buddha. And she's talking about the Four Noble Truths. She's talking about, um, at this time, she's talking about compassion and self-compassion. She's talking about self-care. And she's talking about the actuality of reincarnating in our lives, in our lifetimes. And I'm relating to all of this. And at that point, I was hooked. My practice, as I was writing about before I said, before I even got to EBMC, was, was finding the power and the um, gift of awareness through the practice. And that's what I was offering people, that the mindness allows you the, op sorry, mindfulness allows you the option of choice. There's nothing for me more powerful than that. And when I, in later years, maybe a couple of years later, as I'm teaching some homeless folks about this practice, I have somebody say to me, um, you know, I couldn't help it. I just hit them. And, and, you know, like sometimes I get mad and I just swing, like I just do that. And I remember saying to them, what would it be like if you actually could make, have a choice? And I said, I promise you, if you do a little bit of this practice, you'll be able to have a little power in choosing the swing. You can swing if you want, but you get to choose. And having them come back to class six months later and talk about how they've been practicing. It was amazing. Person was um, also had alcohol addictions. They were mostly on the street, but actually many people in that group um, um, took on the practice that I offered them. So I think I want to stop talking um, off the top of my head and bring in some of the healing tools that I have um, that I've created. So what we'll do is, um, look at that, I talked for a whole 15 minutes, it's a long time. What we'll do is, um, I want to offer a little meta practice just because I shared a lot and, um, and I'm not sure how that's impacting you. So we're just going to do a short meta practice and then we'll, we'll um, do a mindfulness practice. We'll do um, 
10 minutes. How much time do I have on your clock? Because I actually, I literally, wait, let me see if I have one. Oh, 141. Oh, I'm running out of time. I'm talking a lot. We could, we could spend another, um, I, I don't know, we, if we, we could spend another 10 plus minutes if we can get, um, also include just a brief period for questions. Yeah. So I'm going to offer one of my practices, the one that I thought about offering this morning. Taking and then and then we'll we'll sit after that for a few minutes. So we'll we'll do this within ten minutes. Um, taking into consideration that you all have your stories, and um, and that we're here because we're suffering, and we're here because we have in some way either. Uh, experience healing in the practice and through the Dharma and or believe that we can. So um, one of uh, my teachers is um, Tara Brock and um, I picked up this practice from something that she was teaching um, and it's, it's, it's about allowing ourselves some ease and compassion from the ways that we may hold ourselves accountable for who we were in the past, for our behaviors in the past. Um, many of us are holding our children captive, our inner children captive, our teenagers captive, even our, ourselves from a few days ago captive or hours ago. And I believe that we're all always doing the best that we can. And I'm saying that slowly because I know that that's hard to digest. I believe that we are all always doing the, base, the best that we can because we're almost always responding and reacting from our trauma place. So when we're lying, there's a reason that we're lying. We're not just lying because it's fun. We're usually lying because we're trying to hold on to something or we're trying to, right, to not lose something. When we're stealing, there's a, a lack of something that's happening that, you know, comes from our past. When we're engaging in behaviors that are shutting us down, it's because we, there are things that we don't yet believe that we can be with. So, um, I really, I, I really believe that and, and encourage you to investigate that. But let's, um, let's see if I can, I've got this weird timer thing that won't let me. So I'm, I'm going to give myself a few minutes. We're going to do this practice and a practice. If you can wave your hand, Robin, maybe um, when, uh, before I have less than 10. How much time do I have? Like 20 minutes? Well, it's a it's, all together. It's uh, one forty-five. So, uh, and we we really should wrap up five no later than no later than four. I'm sorry, no oh, later okay. than two. Sorry, I'm I'm on the different time. All right, time great. Zone. I'm going to yeah. make it happen. I'm going to make it happen. <laughs> okay. I'm going right. to make it happen. Here we go. Okay. So, um, I'm going to I'm going to uh, bypass. Let's see. We got a little bell here. Ding. Sorry, my hands are full. I'm gonna ask you to, if you're comfortable, settle in for a moment. Finding your breath, the energy or feelings in your hands, perhaps finding your feet on the ground, whatever may be grounding for you. And I'm going to begin with this quote. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? And I'll add to that um, self-loving and self-caring. 
going back to the quote, actually, who are you not to me? You are a child of God, higher spirit, goddess, creator, whoever works for you. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of our higher being that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. And that's called Our Deepest Fear from Marianne Williamson. And if you choose to, you may put your hand on your heart as I take you through a very short practice, but I think it's important. I'm hoping this practice will offer some relief um, and some release for you. And we begin with repeating after me what works and letting go what doesn't. It's not my fault what may have been impacted my being while I was in the womb. It's not my fault if I may have been separated at birth from the one who carried or seated me. It's not my fault that I may have concerns or difficulty with attaching to others. It's not my fault that I may feel anger about the circumstances of my youth or childhood. It's not my fault if I may feel great or feel nothing at all. It's not my fault if I have experiences of feeling alone or lonely in this life. It's not my fault that I may overattach or practice ownership over those I love. It's not my fault if I, if I may have been diagnosed with or experience attention deficit disorder. It's not my fault that anyone at any time did not treat me as the gift that I am to the world. It's not my fault if at any time or in any way I was harmed emotionally, physically, psychologically, or spiritually. It's not my fault. It's not my fault that I have a hard time, if I have a hard time leaving relationships, or if I have a hard time committing to one. It's not my fault if I question if I am worthy or enough. I am enough. I am worthy of my own care and the care from others. I am enough. I am love and I am worthy. So we'll be quiet for just a couple of minutes, feeling anything that may be showing up for you in your body. It can be very kind and calming to touch your heart, your belly, your face, 
even holding your thighs in your hands can be calming. I've come to understand that we, you are the most important person in your experience. And you can know this because you're the only one breathing for you and you're the only one you can breathe for. There were something like a million sperm that came through the vessel that reached the egg and you won that race. There was a race. You're supposed to be here. The essence of you is love and compassion for you is possible. Ease and joy for you are possible. So I'm going to practice accepting what is and um, not try to beat myself up for talking too much and um, end the end of my talk here. So thank you for your patience and kindness on my first Zoom talk. I have some working with clocks to do. That's great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I, I do want to invite um, those in attendance if you have questions that are things that have come up uh, during the last while, um, please feel free to share them with us in the chat or to um, press that raise your hand icon, come on and share them live. Um, yeah, we're, we have time for that. And um, I, could, I could start us off if that's helpful. Um, I, and this is actually, I think it's a hard question to ask, so maybe it will be difficult to, an to answer. <laughs> But it, it's, um, it's this idea of, um, uh, of the loathing and hatred and or dissatisfaction or disappointment that we often feel in life is very attached to, to us, to self. And that, um, that ego that arises and, and oh, because we feel like we're the cause of everything, you know, there, it's, it's, it's a very egocentric thing to be holding those um, emotions and those experiences with around the idea of their, their mind. Um, and, and that, I think that really gets in the way of, mm. of, of problem solving, or we see ourselves as the problem. So how do we begin to separate that suffering from this experience of me? Mm. So I think a taking, everything is slow slowly as it comes up and as things arise whatever the suffering might be pointing to or calling or screaming out the practice for me of being able to be compassion compassionate actually shrinks the ego because the ego is coming in because it's afraid it's afraid it's going to be dissolved it's afraid it's going to be harmed again and when I can meet um, my suffering with compassion, um, and it, it, I, I don't know if this answers your question. It was a long question. <laughs> it can, it can um, allow myself a little bit of space, some space to be, to be with it. Is, is that close to what you're yeah. asking? It is. It is. Thank you. Yeah, I, and I want to say, um, I, when I'm working with, uh, as a coach with folks as well, especially artists or musicians, um, or speakers even, like the ego is fine. It's a, matter, it's a matter of when we're working with it, managing it, or if it's in control of us. That's the only, this is the place where we, where we need to just be clear. Um, when MLK gets up and speaks or someone else that we admire has got up and spoken, we need our ego to bring us there, but we are in charge of it, right? So my ego gets me in the chair and then in my wisest space, 
it goes and I'm, I want transmission of something higher, but my ego might get me there. Does that make sense? So I, I, I actually, giving my ego a job is useful. Because <laughs> um, I, I don't, I just want, you know, we shouldn't knock the ego for being an ego. It's, it's, it's a tool. We just have to learn how to manage it. It looks like somebody else, uh, Shauna. Yeah, you're um, Thanks, I'm outside, so I apologize for the wind. Um, thank you so much for your teachings. Uh, my question was around self-care and how you balance who you are as a person and um, knowing your story and having more of an awareness, but still mm. staying with, with it and continuing to do the work and balancing self-care so it, it's been really important for me to set a time to do my practice every every day um, so that even if I get up and I do my practice but even if um, for some reason I'm missing breakfast I'm aware that I'm missing breakfast and I get to make choices around is it what I really want to do is it not what I want to do um, I, I have reminders on my phone for eating. I have reminders on my phone for, um, for practice. Um, and then I have loving friends. So I have a friend who I can call up and say, uh, my friend Ace Morgan, um, I can call him up and say, I'm not eating. And so uh, fortunately he's a fitness trainer. He does some nutrition. So we'll work out a meal plan. So having an ally to work with you on that um, I had, um, so I dated someone for a little while. We weren't a great match, but she was a really beautiful person and she encouraged touch. So she taught, you know, she like, uh, we practiced, um, just like having her rub my hands and my feet. So calling in people who are willing to, um, to support your self care and who are hopefully doing care for themselves. Right. Cause those are the, <laughs> those are the healthiest. And, and I just want to, little notes around your house that say, I am enough and I am worthy so that it gets in. Because you are. And we just have to, we're just rewriting scripts, right? The Dharma helps us to rewrite the, the scripts. And, and of course, you know, whenever you can, go into a sangha and sit in. Do you go to EBMC? You can just nod. Yay. Yeah, right on. Thank you. Thank you for your question and your practice. And sorry, Shauna, I did not, not see you raising your hand. I was looking at the, for the little icon to come up, so I missed it. <laughs> Anyone else? Um, Fresh, is there any, are there any upcoming events that you would like to mention? Mm. Yeah, so um, myself and uh, three other teachers, um, Skeeter Barter, uh, Barker and uh, Amber Field, and if you've been to Spirit Rock, Ramon um, Honea, I believe is how you say his name, he's one of the retreat managers, he's also a certified teacher, We'll be offering a day long at Spirit Rock on April 25th for uh, the trans and LGBTQ community, uh, QIA community. Um, yeah, that's the one that I remember at the moment. <laughs> I'm probably my worst promoter, but uh, yes, thank <laughs> you. Um, let's see, I, th I believe that that's, oh yeah, okay, I have a little flyer. Yeah, so that's the one that's coming up. Um, other than that, there will be um, our second uh, transgender uh, retreat. Let's see if you can see that. You don't have to see it. You can go to the link um, that Robin put up. But the second annual trans and uh, gender expansive retreat will be happening at Big Bear. And you can find out that information um, through the Insight um, Meditations website, Meditation Center website. We are... Um, Definitely asking for um, donations for people who are allies to the community so that we can bring in youth and seniors who 
are trans and don't have access to wealth necessarily. So please, uh, please check that out. And, you know, $5 matters. So please join us. Um, otherwise, um, I will hopefully get a calendar on my website eventually and you can see where I'm teaching, but I'm teaching at several places around the Bay pretty regularly. Wonderful. Thank yeah. you so much. I mean, uh, your, your honesty, your authenticity, your living example of, of self-compassion work is um, it's really beautiful. And I appreciate you being here and sharing your time with us. Thank you so much for having me. And um, for everybody out there, um, make 2020 your commitment for <laughs> insight. <laughs> 2020 insight. And your commitment for self-love, you matter so much. And, uh, you know, we need all of us uh, to, to heal. So uh, blessings and thank you again for hosting Robin and for making it happen. Hi, I'm Vimla Sara, president of the Buddhist Recovery Network. Our mission is to help promote the use of Buddhist teachings and practices to help people recover from the suffering caused by addictive and or compulsive behaviors. Our organization is a volunteer-run nonprofit which has expenses. We offer free monthly live teachings on the Academy, free resources on our website, and all our podcasts are free. We also organize a bi-yearly summit where many of us come together. We rely on the generosity of you, our listeners, and our interviewees in order to produce these offerings. We are asking you to donate to help with our expenses. Thank you. And to show our gratitude for your support, all Patreon supporters will receive access to special guided meditations. To unlock these, please offer your support by going to patreon.com forward slash Buddhist Recovery Network. Again, patreon.com forward slash Buddhist Recovery Network. Thank you so much for your generosity. May all beings be free from the roots and the causes of suffering. May all beings be at peace.